As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. New VanCast for you. The day after the Seattle Kraken go through their expansion exercise, it's J-Pat and the funny fish joke guy. Tom, are you are you proud of your behavior there in the 24 hours leading up to the expansion draft? No, I'm never proud, J-Pat, but I just found it funny. I was happy to waste my time making fish jokes. And uh, the fish joke, I mean, look, the Kerfoot thing, what a dumb leak. Like, so clearly was, you know, what it was. Like, if you spent any time on set, and it, you know, you just know what they were doing. You knew that there were multiple takes. I didn't have any reporting when I sent my tweet out being like, guys, this is definitely one of, like, five takes. And immediately I hear from some of my friends who were involved, like, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously. I knew that. And then everyone's taking this guy's word as gospel, even though he admits in the DM screenshot that he mostly posted it because they wouldn't give him a free jersey. Like, come on, guys. We are not that good at re- assessing the reliability of information on the Internet. Th- that was not a credible source. We wouldn't have run with that guy. Uh, but Twitter did. So it goes. Ultimately, of course, it wasn't Alex Kerfoot selected by Fish uh, and the fish jokes. Uh, look, it was a funny day. It was a funny day for some bad fish puns and something fishy did go on with how the Kraken rather preposterously, in my opinion, approached this entire process. Yeah, they went young. They went cheap. They left all of the star power essentially on the table. And for all this talk of side deals ahead of the expansion draft, I don't want to say there were none. We're recording this on Thursday morning. <laughs> I, I don't want to say they misunderstood the assignment, <laughs> but I don't think they understood the assignment. They drafted a team. Like, congratulations. Congratulations. In the flat cap era, you've gone out and drafted a team, completely screwing up your unique leverage. And people are like, but look at their cap space. And it's like, great. Like, great. They're one of seven teams with that amount of cap space. Like, there's nothing unique about their cap position now at all, JPAT. Like, at all. There's nothing unique there. 
Uh, they even have a couple 29-year-olds signed for too long. <laughs> like, there's nothing unique there. And what was unique was the leverage that they had during the flat cap era to lord over rival teams. And instead, this time around, in contrast with what we saw with Vegas, teams made side deals the, beforehand. They made they made redistributive deals beforehand. Uh, Francis, unlike McPhee, seemed to be unable to contain that with threats and on and on. He also ultimately, yeah, didn't... I mean, look, there's a couple side deals coming. We know Pitlick, Frank Saravalli is reporting that it's Pitlick to most likely Calgary for a mid-rounder, stuff like that. So they'll, they'll net some picks, but it's like, you got to get more assets than that. Like, that's what Vegas did so well. They built up this war chest, this uncomparable war chest of future assets, and then they were able to keep adding to their group as they went. Stone, Pacioretty, star players. Like, what? where is that? Where Where is... Like, Seattle instead has a bunch of players, a young guys, but not a ton of trade value on their roster, and no extra picks? Like, yikes, man. Yikes, it's not good enough. Right, and... You know, where Vegas went for Marc-Andre Fleury, who was decorated. And look, I know he had lost his job in Pittsburgh, but he has shown that the bounce-back factor was real, and he's given them incredible goaltending. I don't want to dismiss Chris Dreger at 27. This is a great opportunity for him, but it's also a roll of the dice. Like, I know what he did in Florida for one season, but if they're banking on this trio of goaltenders again like there's not a lot of star power there and they may fit the bill as far as affordability goes uh but there's also a fair bit in terms of unprovenness uh i don't know like i, I, I like Drieger. i like Drieger. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board with that i still remember it was only like 28 months ago jpat that i drafted a press release when we converted his ahl deal to a two-way one-year nhl deal like i remember writing that press release and being told to put some extra mustard on it because that kid had earned it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> sure. Um, but I still remember writing that. I never actually worked with the guy. Like, I don't think I've ever met him. Uh, maybe I did it like a dev camp or something right. along, along the line. But um, you know what? I must have met him quickly. I must have worked with him briefly at a training camp. But I don't even remember him. I, I'm sure he wouldn't remember me. We didn't really interact. The point is, though, is that this guy really has taken an incredible path. And when you look at his performance at the NHL level over the last two seasons, it's been pretty remarkable. Um, you know, last year especially, though, he was really, really good. And and I actually think the Panthers could have been perhaps a bigger threat against the Lightning if they just kind of rolled with him the way they did in the regular season in their first-round series. Uh, you know, anyway, I, I liked the, the Drieger thing was the least of their sins for me. I think that was a good bet. Um, I liked their approach in that. It was almost everything else, you know? It was almost everything else. Even, like, Alexiak, who I love. Like, I have so much time for Alexiak, but five times four, six? Like, my goodness. My goodness, that's a big ticket for a guy who, you know, played with Miro Heskinen last year. Like, you know, like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't like the team they built. I don't see enough dynamic puck-moving thrust from the back end, even though they have a lot of beef and a lot of guys that look like they'll be tough to play against. I don't see enough goal scoring up front, even though obviously I think Mason Appleton and Jared McCann have the uh, like ability to be breakout stars for this Kraken team. Um, and, and more than that, I just don't think they netted enough value. I think their asks were too high. I think they stuck with them too stubbornly. And I just don't think fundamentally they understood what this process could do 
which is wild because it's not like this was the first time we've gone through it. Like the template was right there. Right. Um, I haven't talked to an executive yet that has a really firm grasp on like what, why they approached it that way. You know, uh, I don't, I, I, I can't either. And I still think they'll be fine. Like I still think there'll be a bubble playoff team in year one, but I just don't think they're poised to level themselves up the way the Golden Knights did shortly after their expansion draft. And don't sell yourself short here, Tom. Uh, if you had one encounter with Chris Drieger in Florida, I'm betting everything. I'm betting the house that you laid a killer knock-knock joke on him and he'll remember you for all time. <laughs> no chance. No chance. <laughs> no chance on the knock-knock or no chance no, on no. a joke I, I, at if all? I, if, I knit, if, I knit, if I laid a terrible joke on him, he'd black it out. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, like most of my Twitter followers. Hey, what about the work the Kraken did with Adam Larson? 28-year-old right-shot defenseman at 4x4. Four four. Like, that seems like a pretty reasonable contract for me for a guy that could have shopped himself on the open market. Like, Chris Tanev, three years older, right-shot defenseman, not a lot of offense in his profile. We know Chris Tanev, obviously. And Tanev got 4 by 45 from Calgary. Like, I'm a little surprised that Larson didn't get more or couldn't get more. Uh, yeah, I am too. I mean, he is a no-offense defender, right? There's not a ton of offense there, but yeah, I mean, he has the profile of a guy that tends to get paid, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I mean, look, I like that deal. I, I think we would have been saying that makes sense if the Canucks had signed it, right? So, yeah, I mean, uh, Adam Larson's a nice player, and I think it can be a really good player for the Kraken. Um, I think they have a lot of, like, again, I think they have a lot of big bodies. Like, that defense is going to be a problem to play against. I just, you know, other than Giordano, who's 37, do they have enough Puck movers. You know, I mean, Vince Dunn seems to me to be a consolation prize for Jaden Schwartz, right? He seems to be the guy that most people are expecting to be flipped out of that defense score, and he's kind of the only guy that moves the puck. Everyone else is kind of a big, stodgy defender, and I like those players. Like, I like almost all of them. I really like Jeremy Lozon. Like, I like a lot of those players. But where's the thrust? Where's your – who's who's your 2021 version of Nate Schmidt? Who's your 2021 version of Shea Theodore, right? Like, for me, those guys could have been Connor Clifton and, you know, Jake Bean, perhaps. And I just, I, they, didn't, they didn't take those guys. Um, so we'll see. I mean, maybe it could be Dennis Chilowski, but... Uh, it's going to be one of the flurries. Kind of untested. It's going to be one of the flurries. They, they, right. It's a volume play. Uh, and that was a <laughs> that, that was a clunky a good story. No, but that was a clunky part of the broadcast too, where they talked about oh, you got to have a flurry and expansion, and and then they talked about Mark Andre Flurry. And I remember this is ESPN; it's an American uh, broadcast, and so you know they they mention I think Kale Flurry first, and then they mention Mark Andre Flurry, and then they mentioned that Kale could play with his brother, and it made it sound like Mark Andre was the brother. Right. Uh, which obviously he's not. And I said, like, even though I knew the truth, I was still confused by the way they kind of <laughs> laid that thing out. I thought the broadcast for the most, but like they tried to have fun with it. I mean, all the names, obviously, what a day yesterday for Saravelli and others. Um, but I mean, the plans are already in place at that point. Like it's too late to turn back. So the show that they had planned was going to be the show that ultimately they uh, put forth. And you know, I mean, the city looks spectacular. Like oh, whoever, yeah. the whoever set was incredible. Yeah, whoever picked that location, Gasworks Park. Uh, you can't control the weather, but the weather gods were smiling on them too. And quite frankly, to have that many people show up for an inaugural event, like I, I, there was a lot to like. Like I, I thought it was fun. They, they had fun. It was the way to to try to do it. I thought the fact that they could get six guys uh, in on location in a hurry, and all six of them, I thought, you know, like. 
you're going to put on a brave face, obviously. But I thought uh, all handled themselves well. Uh, you know, pretty good speakers. Really, like, really well. So on, on that level, like and the jerseys looked great. And the jerseys do look awfully good. Incredible. Yes, I love the seafoam trim. Like it's just so cool and it's so distinct. And they didn't lean too heavily into seafoam. <laughs> wait a for little seafoam goes wait, a long way. Wait for the third jersey. <laughs> um, but you know what? That's sort of the story of this Kraken team now, right? Like, for me anyway, it's like this team has done this tremendous renovation, right? They've nailed the business side of their their operation to a T, right? From, uh, you know, I thought their social media game was tremendous. Obviously, we know Savannah Hollis makes a mean cookie cake. <laughs> yes. Uh, J-Pet. Yes, yes, we do. Um, you know, the event yesterday looked good. It got scooped, but everything looked great. Um, you know, I thought it was... Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's an NHL production. Like, it's not an awards show, right? Like, it's not the Emmys. I don't know why I picked the worst awards show. It's not the Oscars. Um, But uh, but the, you know, the fact of the matter is, is it's like, now can the hockey ops group live up to, you know, the, the business enterprising accomplishments that the Kraken have already laid down? which have been world-class across the board. Like, their practice facility is going to be absolutely gorgeous. Um, You know, I think they've made some really, really smart business choices at every single level. But I just look at that expansion draft, and I just think either the prices were way too high and they weren't flexible enough in negotiating with teams, um, or or they they better have a plan to go get a really, really big piece via trade. Like... You know, my tune would change, for example, if this was all setting up so that the Kraken could bid on Jack Eichel because they read what happened to Vegas. Like they looked at what happened to Vegas and said the one piece Vegas wasn't able to get was that one C. So we need to bet on this guy. That would be a huge splash and that would change my tone. Then I'd be like, hey, hey, that made sense. That was a aggressive, smart play. And I love the way they handled it. So, you know, we'll see what side deals come out, you know, over the course of the day. Thursday, we are recording before the. NHL rosters are unfrozen, uh, 10, 10 a.m. local time. So just a, just fair warning to our listeners. Maybe maybe something will happen that changes my tune. But the way I look at it right now, it just seems like Francis flunked his ruthlessness test and did so pretty clearly. Yeah, I mean, they're going to add Matt Beneers in all likelihood. So they'll get a future franchise center in the draft, but probably not but a guy. But is he touted as a franchi- franchise center? Well... I haven't really heard that. Okay, but he will probably be for that franchise in the short term. I, you know, I don't know if he plays next year, but um, you know, they'll add a piece. Obviously, with with the second overall pick, you're certainly hoping that you add a piece that's going to be, you know, a key component of your hockey club for a long, long time. But I'm with you. Like, you know, they had that exclusive negotiating window. They talked to some of the big names out there. It's not a complete lost cause. Like now, they can weigh back into the free agent waters, but along with everybody else and. You know, we'll see if they're able to do anything here when the free agent window opens next Wednesday. But there's uh, just nothing unique. But I'm with you. There's nothing unique about their cap situation anymore. Yeah. People are like, look at all that cap space. And it's like, there's five other teams with that much cap space. There's five other teams with more. You know, like what was unique about their situation was the last four days and coming out of that, you know, again, unless they're setting up for something that's sort of like in the bag, but not in the bag yet. Unless that's the case, I just don't think you can look at this roster and say that they maximize the value they could have netted from teams around the league. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so 30 teams lose a player. That included the Vancouver Canucks, although it looked like they were going to go through the the television portion uh, without announcing Cole in there for a sec. Jerry Bruckheimer, one of the ownership group uh he had the card in his hand and then they were going to trot out the six guys again to the center stage and and then it was like oh yeah let's get uh, that final pick so uh ultimately it is luckily Cole, the suspense wasn't killing us. it was not <laughs> definitely not uh but let the record show that uh on our last pod i did say cole lind you said Braden holpe although i sided with you yeah, so it's you sort might. of a backhanded win for me on that one right. uh but I'll, I'll take it I'll, i i take all the w's i can get um and again, so, so I'm buying the sides. I'm buying the you sides. Are. Yes. But Mason Appleton got picked, so I don't have to eat a 20 piece of McNuggets. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! I was so relieved. Yeah. <laughs> I might do that for you. Um, <laughs> but Colin just kind of fit the profile of so many other guys that they took, right? Like inexpensive, not a lot of NHL experience, uh, upside, I suppose. But. You know, we've discussed this on past pods. Let's be honest. In his seven-game audition, and it wasn't just the final seven games that the Canucks played. Like, he was up for the final 15, and Travis Green used him as an every-other-day guy when those games didn't matter. Like, if they had wanted to have a 15-game look at uh, Cole in, they could have. And I remember Travis, at the end of the season, kept saying, I'm going to play the guys that give me the best chance to win. So, you know, kind of read between the lines uh, there as far as the coach's decision is concerned. Cole Lynn's audition was underwhelming. It was. There was no offense. And quite frankly, the disappointing part for me was, you know, he had been billed as this guy that has an edge to his game. And we just saw none of that. None of it. And now, maybe the conditions weren't necessarily ripe or didn't lend themselves. You know, they were afternoon games that didn't mean anything and there wasn't a ton of intensity. But still, if you're trying to get noticed at the NHL level... Like, you got to step outside the comfort zone a little bit and do something that is going to attract some eyeballs. Quite frankly, I just didn't see a whole lot there from Cole Lind. Nope, nor did I. I mean, I, I like a lot of what he can do in spurts, uh, what he's shown in spurts at the American League level. I like that he played some center and showed some versatility. I like the shot. But, it, but you know, it's not enough to have an NHL-level shot, right? Like, you look at Reed Boucher yeah. as the prime example. Like yeah. Reed Boucher is... A high-end, got a high-end finishing ability even at the NHL level, but it's the other 5% of his game, right, that makes the difference between being, you know, a, a credible top six forward and not. Like, the, the people don't like to believe this, but, like, the gap between what a player like Brock Besser is and what a player like Reed Boucher is is not massive. It's, like, you know, somewhere between 7 and 10%. But that 7 and 10% is everything. And when you look at... Cole Lind, and you look at the first step, especially, and you look at the dynamic skating ability, and you look at his production in professional hockey as a result, um, I just don't see a lot there there, personally. I, I haven't for a while. I, I've sort of seen him as a pretty marginal prospect for a bit. And, you know, it's not like he came in and was playing fourth-line minutes for the Canucks and didn't get an opportunity. Like, he played with Bo Horvat. He got a big, a big shot. And, you know, I just don't think he really sees the bull by the horns there. Uh, people are saying a lot about like waivers, right? Like waivers, he's going to hit waivers. Like the Canucks might claim him again. And it's like, 
I mean, you can aim higher on waivers these days, to be totally honest with you. I don't even think Cole Lynn's like a for sure won't clear guy in the event that he doesn't make the Kraken out of camp, which is which is a positive for them, right? Like, you, you kind of want a guy who could be something, but who could also sneak through waivers. I think Cole Lynn fits that bill. And yeah, so not a huge loss for the Canucks. They were well positioned. I think the opportunity cost is more significant in that the Canucks were unable to clear cap space. Right. And, and look, I don't want to sound this sound like I'm writing Cole Lind off. He's 22. Uh, he was a second rounder, a high second rounder. We got that glimpse of him. And I saw a lot of people saying like, hey, they asked him to play center in Utica last season and then they played him at the wing. And, you know, he, he did. He had a broken nose that required him to come to Vancouver for medical treatment. He sat for a month before he made his NHL debut. That couldn't have been easy. Uh, it certainly didn't help, I'm sure. Uh, then COVID hit the organization. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of factors. But, man, like, when the lights go on and the door opens, it's showtime, and he had seven opportunities, and I just, again, left me wanting so much more. So I hope for him, he always seemed like a good kid and decent guy to deal with, and I, I hope he has a, a long NHL career. Uh, but a lot of that's on him now, and he's had a taste of it. And, you know, a lot of people point, too, to, you know, his first year in Kelowna didn't go great, and then he stepped it up in the Western League, and the same thing in Utica. And yeah, But it gets harder to do that the higher you climb in the hockey ladder, right? Like, just because you were able to have a good second year in junior doesn't mean you're going to have a good second year in the National Hockey League. Like, it does, it, it, it just, it's not that simple. So uh, that's why I say, like, he seems like a bright guy, and, and I hope he takes – uh, those seven games to heart and the fact that he has now seen the National Hockey League. And I'm going to be really curious. I am. Like, I just, I'm curious to see, you don't want to lose a high second rounder, but the Canucks had to lose somebody in this process. And so uh, let's see where it goes. I'm really kind of curious to see where Colin's NHL career is going to take him. Yeah, as am I. And hopefully, I mean, I've enjoyed my interactions with him. Uh, I think he's been a pro to deal with both the American and the NHL level, uh, the HL and the NHL levels. Um, you know, hopefully he can tap into and add some of that 7% to his game and, and make it. I mean, you know, there's definitely, he definitely could still be something, which is why he was the Kraken selection. And it's why if the Canucks hadn't dealt for Dickinson, he would have been the guy they protected, right? Um, so, you know, it's not that he's by any means a lost cause. He still could very well be something. Uh, but I just don't think from a Canucks perspective, you're sort of ruining that loss. And even if he does figure it out, I don't think it should be looked at as this giant mistake that the Canucks have made uh, going forward. Like, this is not a process error for Vancouver, uh, no matter how it shakes out. And uh, and so, you know, we'll see. Good luck to him. Um, hopefully he has a great summer and reports to the Kraken and challenges to make camp out of the team, uh, <laughs> break camp with the team. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's sort of a, you know, not, I don't want to say it's a nothing burger, but it's a marginal loss. Uh, not not a significant one for Vancouver. I, I still think, actually, the bigger loss is the fact that they just weren't able to shed a salary in this process. Right, so let's get into that, because that is the other shoe to drop now. The expansion process is over. It's the draft. It's free agency beyond that. Buyouts. Uh, where is this going to come from? I, I still think we all are anticipating that a buyout for Jake Furtanen is going to be in the cards here. But beyond that, like this past week, is now a bit of an opportunity lost. And so for the GM who has said he's going to be aggressive and knows that he has to improve his team, improving his team starts with some flexibility on his end. Like, where do they go from here? And I know that there's this chatter out there about Boston and Braden Holtby. And, and if they can move Holtby, I'm, you know, it sounds like that's certainly something they're open to and probably should do, I guess, at what cost and how much retention is involved. But 
you know, where do they go now that the expansion process is behind them in terms of trying to create this cap space that gives them a little bit of flexibility next week? It's going to be interesting. And, and here's the one thing to note. I mean, other than the Islanders, because Lou Lamorello has a get-out-of-cap-jail-free card, apparently, uh, especially this week, having cleared up $16.5 million in space. Probably his best week of GMing since the, since the late 90s. Like, this was truly incredible work for Lou. And the Islanders are now poised to be a major player if they want to be uh, in, in, on any number of fronts here. Uh, you know, and I guess Julian Brisbois, who at least shed Yanni Gord, although, although Yanni Gord isn't exactly a player you'd want to lose in, under any circumstances. Uh, you know, other than that, the one thing you note is that while the Kraken didn't do the Canucks any favors, they didn't do anyone else any favors either, right? And that means around the league, you know, it's not just the Canucks that are going to be looking to reallocate cap space and be problem solving creatively on a variety of fronts. It, it does, however, you know, leave the Canucks in the same bind they've been, which is that while other teams have problems too. Vancouver has more of them, right? Vancouver just has <laughs> like three or four problems where most teams have one or two. And so, yeah, I mean, we go back to this sort of aggressive versus conservative offseason structure, which we've talked about before, J-Pat. Like if the Canucks are going to go for it in a meaningful way, you know, it's really important that they carve out a, you know, or reallocate anyway some of their money at the bottom end of that lineup to players that can meaningfully help them win. And Holpe is a big part of that. Reallocating some of Holpe's $4.3 million in cap space, even if they do have to retain a bit, you know, that can that can pay major dividends. Uh, you know, I still think reallocating Schmidt and his 5.95, like that is something, you know, the club's going to try and do. Uh, it, bonus points awarded if you can do anything with the $12 million represented by Erickson, Beagle, and Roussel. Uh, we'll see. So, yeah, the Canucks have a ton of work to do in reallocating that cap space. Carving out additional space is, is kind of the key part of it, especially because while they landed Dickinson and I like Dickinson, I think that could be a very good pickup for them. He's still likely to be like a pricier piece. This is not a one million. This is not Mason Appleton at 900K, right? Like this yeah. is yep. a player who's going to cost 2.5 and for me has less offensive upside than a player like Appleton would have, right? Like there's... The club believes that he has more to give, but, you know, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I think he's got a lot to give defensively. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure that he's going to take a step as an offensive producer at the age of 25. Uh, so the club still needs goal scoring. Like, they still need, ideally, a top six winger, but certainly a middle six winger you'd take. And they still need to rebuild that defense core. And with Dickinson assuming, like, a $2.5 million hold, you know, we're looking at them having about 7.5-ish million to do that once you've earmarked a responsible amount for Hughes and Pedersen. It's not a lot of flax, J-Pat. Like, it's hard to rebuild your blue line for 7.5 million, much less rebuild your blue line and add a middle six or ideally a top six forward. Um, you know, still a mid-range piece. Like, they, there still can be a player for a mid-range, like three, three and a half million dollar piece. But if they want to bring in more than that, you know, another shoe has to drop here. Uh, another shoe has to drop here with them clearing out money. And clearing out money, you know, that's not been something they've been able to accomplish the last two years, despite spending a fair bit of time trying. So we'll see. The time is going to be short here. The market opens in less than a week now. Six days. Six days till free agency. So we'll see. We'll see what they can accomplish. But expect them to be aggressive. And, and you know, I won't be stunned if they're aggressive right out the gate when the roster is on freeze in 
you know, on Thursday morning. Right. So Thursday morning leads us into Friday in the first round of the draft. Uh, we have spoken at length on this pod for weeks and, and months about, uh, well, really since the draft lottery, when we knew that they were slotted ninth. I mean, what's your gut tell you just over 24 hours away from, they don't go to the podium because it's all done virtually again for a second straight year, but you know, when you look at the Canucks and trade chips, there just there aren't a lot for you know many of the things that we just talked about in clearing space. Hey, what's your gut tell you about holding on to that ninth overall pick? I think they'll do it. I, I would be surprised if they deal it. Um, not shocked. I want to be clear that I wouldn't be stunned. Like I'm not going to be like in a stunning move, but I do <laughs> think it's unlikely. I, I think there's real value to that ninth pick. Um, you know, I think they recognize it and there's going to be a good player available, like whether it's a Brent Clark or a Kent Johnson, you know, I think that's the caliber of prospect you're able to add if you're picking in that spot and boy, could the Canucks use a prospect like that, right? Like <laughs> that's exactly what this team needs right now. And for me, you know, adding a, a puck moving righty with some significant potential or a offensive piece like Kent Johnson, who's going to go nine, but is, you know, in, in terms of his pure offensive ability, probably the highest upside forward in this draft class. Like that's what this Canucks team really needs to add. If they're going to put themselves over the top in two years, as opposed to sneak into the playoffs. And we always talk about like the win and get in things, not good enough. Right. Um, Trading the ninth overall pick is the winner get in strategy. And I just don't think you can justify doing it unless you're also reappropriating a ton of cap space, either in advance or in that move while also bringing in something of significant, like massive value. So I don't see it happening, but, you know, I do think it's been discussed. I, I think there's some possibility we could see it. I just don't think it's likely. Well, we won't have to wait uh, a whole lot longer. And, of course, the Canucks with two picks in the top 40, the way things shake down at least for the time being. So uh, they'll be back at it early on Saturday with one of the top 10 picks in round two as well and, and the potential there to, to grab two pieces that, you know, as you say, should be a big part of what they're trying to put together here. By the way, nice work on the Kent Johnson feature that's uh, available. It uh, was posted yesterday at The Athletic. It's up there now if people want to read a little bit more about one of the players that could very well land in the Canucks lap and a local guy. Uh, some great anecdotes from some of the people that uh, he's played with and skated with over uh, years gone by. So uh, anything else that... Uh, People need to know about uh, your Kent Johnson piece? Well, yeah. I mean, I just think he's like, he's a really interesting kid because he is, you know, a, a craftsman. Like he's an obsessive about the skills of the game. And I think he's got an ability to see the game in a pretty unique way. Uh, you know, those types of players don't come along that often. They certainly don't fall to nine all that often. I think part of the reason that Johnson may is that you know, his feet need some work, uh, according to some NHL scouts, although, you know, slippery Kent Johnson, as he's been called <laughs> elsewhere, uh, other scouts don't believe that the skating's an issue. And that's sort of similar with Brant Clark, who also could fall to the Canucks and be a serious consideration. He's got a bit of a janky stride, and some scouts are concerned about how that'll translate. But, you know, if you're going to bet on a player figuring something out, bet on them figuring out that side of it, you know, typically. Uh, because we've seen... A lot of prospects do so. We've also seen prospects not do so, of course. There's there's risk involved. But if these were perfect prospects, they'd go at one. Um, the fact is, is that in terms of the way Ken Johnson sees the game, the way he works and obsesses over the game, uh, the 6-1 frame that hasn't quite, you know, bulked up in terms of weight, uh, the unique story, his, his, his knowledge of, you know, 
the local hockey history. I, I mean, I, I just think he's a slam dunk pick for the Canucks if he's available at nine. I think he could be a slam dunk pick for a lot of teams even earlier in the draft order. And I do think there's a chance that happens too. And the Canucks end up with a totally different set of considerations. And Harmon's got a piece up as well, looking at that ninth pick and some of the options. And, you know, you mentioned Brant Clark and on paper uh, fits the bill, right? Like sort of the, the top end right shot defenseman at the head of this class and where do the Canucks really need help? It's on the right side. But, you know, Harm gets into great detail about how, there are people in hockey that think this is a player that is going to need to run a power play to flourish. And, oh yeah, there's already Quinn Hughes here. Jack Rathbone is going to be bidding for some power play time as well. So, you know, you scratch the surface a little bit and maybe, maybe just maybe, uh, Brant Clark isn't really the fit that he looks like just because he shoots the puck right-handed. So again, we'll see. He's in that uh, group of players that may be available and the Canucks select if they hold on to that ninth pick. And again, we'll find out on Friday afternoon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We didn't mention this when we were talking about the Kraken, but uh, we found out on the broadcast last night that, uh, yes, indeed, the Canucks will be the Kraken's first opponent at Climate Pledge Arena, not Climate Change Arena, as the commission uh, <laughs> He's done it. that a couple times. He's, yeah. You know what? I, I have this problem, too. I learned something wrong, J-Pat. And then you're stuck with it, right? And I'm stuck with it. It yeah. takes me... Like, I... I I'm one of those people who retain a lot of information, but if I retain something incorrectly, it will take me years to get it out of my head. So, you know, like 28-year-old, remember it was Tyler Myers, right? I had this idea that Tyler Myers was like 25, and I kept calling him 25-year-old Tyler Myers. He's like 30. Um, Anyway, so I I, I sympathize with the commissioner. But yeah, Climate Pledge Arena, October 23rd, bud. Yeah, Saturday night. So I'm sure that'll be a road trip for uh, some Canuck fans if they can get their hands on tickets. That'll be uh, maybe the challenge there. Uh, the other thing, too, is Climate Change Arena. I would imagine that that would have a retractable heat dome uh, if, in fact, that uh, was something. <laughs> so it's not. It's Climate Pledge Arena. And we've found out that they're going to open on the road in Vegas, uh, play the first couple of games. and That buys them a few extra days to put the finishing touches on what is supposed to be a spectacular building. So, again, October 23rd, uh, mark that down. That's the Seattle Kraken's home opener and the Vancouver Canucks are the opponent. Now, other dates that we learned this week. Tom, training yep. camp in Abbotsford. Now, Brown Social House, baby. Yeah, I know. I may just stay there. Like, yeah, me r- too. Room, room and board. Uh, I'll <laughs> camp out in one of the booths uh, overnight. It's going uh, to be a hall. Now, uh, look, I'm going to stay in Castle Fun Park. Let's be honest here. Uh, Abbotsford, and it makes perfect sense. You're trying to make a splash in the community with your farm team there. But, you know, from the player's perspective, Abbotsford is not Whistler, it's not Victoria. 
Uh, but as we saw with that Victoria camp, like the camp part itself is so ridiculously short now in the release the Canucks put out this week. On a sessions Thursday to Saturday. Thursday to Saturday. That's like the training camp portion. And, and then, you know, some of, the, some of the players will go to Spokane. Others will stick around in Abbotsford because they're going to play Calgary in Abbey on that Monday night. And then they sort of break camp and get back downtown to Rogers Arena. And, you know, the preseason at that point uh, is underway. Seven preseason games, three at Rogers Arena, three out on the road, and then the neutral site one in Abbotsford, which is uh, a home game for the Canucks, but uh, not uh, in downtown Vancouver. So we'll, we'll, we'll do a lot of driving here in uh, in late September, early October, AJ eh, Pat, like Everett, Abbotsford. I'm going to, I'm probably going to come and go. I don't think I'll stay out in Abbotsford. Um, what are you going to do in Everett? They're not playing a game in Everett. The Kraken oh, are. Spokane. 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 Yes. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't. That's more driving. That's a, for Vancouver. That's, that's a fair haul. Yeah. I haven't made it. How, how far are we talking? 10 hours. Oh, goodness. So do I fly? You fly. How do I get there? You fly. Okay. Yeah. So I'll fly. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. So not a lot of driving. <laughs> just, just Abbotsford. Uh, yeah. No, I, I definitely read that release and I was like, oh, man. No, oh, man. You wouldn't go this way, but Spokane is like, you know, seven hours to the Kootenays and then two hours due south of, right. you know, Christina Lake and Trail and those parts of the province. And yep. so you're looking at about 10 hours uh, of driving time. You'd probably go across the border and then cut through the Cascades. Um, but anyways, you're, yeah, no, I'd say fly. Uh, I know my driving BC well. I don't know my driving Washington State well. I've only once driven down there really uh, from the interior, and it was when I went from Penticton Young Stars to the Blue Jays Mariners series, right, which was I like remember. the best sports yeah. week that you could ever have, and then returned to Vancouver in time for a training camp in Whistler. That was like a great week. Um, but yeah, no, the, I mean, the Abbotsford commute, yeah, look, it's an, it's awesome for that community, and, and you know, especially in a world where fans are going to be inside the building, like, if they're able to do something like normal, you know, where, where the stands are you know, relatively full with people watching the on-ice sessions. I mean, I think that'd be great. Like, I think that would be a tremendous way to make an impression in a new community for the Canucks. Um, so looking forward to it and, and looking forward to just like hopefully a relatively normal season. I'm sure we won't be in the locker room, but um, if everything else is relatively normal, if we just get to hear a Vancouver crowd celebrate a home goal, j I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that every day. Oh, and I think we will. And and the other thing, too, when I mentioned on-ice sessions in Abbotsford Thursday to Saturday, you know, pretty good chance that they break camp with a Saturday scrimmage, which would lend itself to, you know, a capacity crowd, whatever capacity is, if they can fill the place, if there are still some restrictions, uh, whatever. I would think that on a Saturday in Abbotsford training camp, Vancouver Canucks, uh, your farm team's there now. Like I think that would be a, a big event. Uh, for the final weekend of September. So looking forward to it. And the crazy thing is, uh, with this tilted calendar we're living in, you know, it's the 22nd of July. We're talking about training camp that starts on the 23rd of September. Like we're two months away from uh, starting this whole thing back up again. 82 game season, the grind. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a weird off season because uh, it's just going to be shorter than we're used to seeing. But uh, it won't be long now before uh, we're at, right back into uh, into hockey season again. Indeed. And bring it on. I mean, I'm looking forward. I'm going to like really take it easy. I've got three, three and three weeks and five off after, uh, after about, you know, the 10th of August. So I'm looking forward to it, j This has been a crazy year to cover hockey. Like when you think about 
when you think about the like what when free agency opens when free agency opens on the 28th um that'll be the day i arrived in edmonton a year earlier right and yeah. so and so when i just think about when I think about like since the pandemic and the spring and all the work we did, like we kept going on the podcast and we kept going with an article a day, even though hockey didn't exist at the athletic. And I don't think I've ever worked that hard in some, in some respects because, you know, I, I was worried for my livelihood, right? Like there was a totally new <laughs> type of pressure that I'd never experienced before. And I think everyone in this industry felt, and then we get to, Return to play. The Canucks almost host the bubble. It sort of falls apart at the last minute. We all busily cover that. And then I spent two months in the bubble. Uh, we all cover this Canucks playoff run. And then offseason, you know, is sort of a mess. We cover that. And then this season unfolds and there's, you know, sexual misconduct allegations and the biggest COVID outbreak in North American professional sports. And the news around the team is like incredibly dour and difficult to cover and complicated. And then you know, right into the off season. Like it's not, it's just been nonstop. It feels like for 16 months. So the month of August, I'm looking forward to get into the other side of this, uh, of this week here. Um, but I do think we're in for some fireworks before then. And I can't wait to get into it with you, J-Pat. The last, uh, last like eight days of us together. So should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll finish up strong. The draft, two days of it, Friday, Saturday, the buyout window, and then on to free agency. Oh, yeah, there's Pedersen and there's Hughes. So there is still a ton, a ton on the plate of Jim Benning and that Vancouver Canuck front office. Should also mention that uh, you should check out Pierre Lebron and Scott Burnside's recap of the Seattle Kraken's expansion draft and look ahead to an active week for NHL GMs as the trade free lifts, trade freeze lifts ahead of free agency. Uh, that's all coming up on Two Man Advantage, the athletic hockey show. Uh, you can find that at The Athletic. Also, I uh, just want to mention this. This isn't full mailbag, but as Tom mentioned, we are into the final uh, couple of pods. I think uh, four or five remaining, whatever the case. And I always tell you at the end of each podcast that we record, you know, check out our comment section for every podcast episode at The Athletic app. If you want to ask us some questions, this isn't mailbag. We're not going to go through them questions by questions. But if you have questions for us, leave them in the comment section for every podcast episode, and you can find it at the Athletic app. And we'll try to answer some VIP questions before we are done here. Hockey-related, Canuck-related, life, whatever. Uh, if you want us to answer a few of your questions, uh, send them our way. Uh, do it in the comment section at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. Tom and Harm are going to be all over uh, what is sure to be a busy and eventful week for the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, you can receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Again, that's at theathletic.com slash VanCast. All right, Drancer, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Jim Benning is going to uh, speak to the media. We'll see what the GM has to say. I'm sure there'll be some expansion draft uh, look back and obviously ahead to uh, the week to come. And uh, we'll be doing this again at some point over the weekend, uh, whether it's after the first round, if there are, in fact, those fireworks and we feel the need to jump back in and record an emergency pod like we did last weekend after the Jason Dickinson trade, uh, or if it's a recap of what happens on both of the days of the draft. We've got you covered. Uh, don't worry, we're not going anywhere. Uh, we'll have a new episode of the Vancast for you coming up uh, at some point here over the weekend. But uh, I think we covered a fair bit uh, in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. The, the rivalry with the Kraken, the Abbotsford AHL team, there's going to be a lot of traveling in the Pacific Northwest for uh, for you and I, J-Pat, uh, <laughs> next, uh, next season. It's going gonna, gonna to be great. There's going to be a lot of local hockey, a lot of fun stories. But first, the Canucks have a lot of really tricky business to attend to. 
is a big cast for Jim Benning and his group. Let's see how it plays out, and we'll talk again like the moment they make a big move of any kind. Yes, we will. Absolutely. For Tom, this is uh, J-Pat. Oh, that didn't quite work. For Drancer, this is J-Pat. Uh, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.